You're listening to the Redfield Arts Audio Podcast. And now, your host, Jennifer Rouse. On this episode, Mark Redfield chats with Bob Crane biographer Carol M. Ford about her research and surprising discoveries writing Bob Crane, the definitive biography. Popular and beloved actor, Bob Crane was best known for his CBS comedy, Hogan's Heroes, which ran from 1965 to 1971. Crane began his entertainment career as a disc jockey and radio personality, enjoying great popularity on LA's KNX radio station, before gaining greater fans as Colonel Hogan on the CBS situation comedy Hogan's Heroes. Bob Crane was murdered in Scottsdale, Arizona on June 29, 1978. As of this interview, Crane's murder remains officially unsolved. This interview was recorded at the Mid-Atlantic Nostalgia Convention in Hunt Valley, Maryland. Why Bob Crane? Why, what, it, what about him uh, as a man, an actor, uh, captured your heart and made him the subject matter of the biography? Well, I was uh, just a kid, and like a lot of kids, um, I fell in love with watching Hogan's Heroes. And uh, I didn't catch the show when it was first aired. I was just uh, born in 1969, so I was just a little thing when it was mid-season. But, uh, but in the 1980s, when I was uh, just a kid, uh, I was watching it uh, during summer vacation. And I just loved the show, and I loved everything about it. So I wanted to know more about who Bob Crane was, even when I was just a kid. So I just started looking up things at the library. Now, in here, they research and design and make costumes. And they do it with absolute authenticity. Right. These days, you hardly ever see an ancient Roman wearing a wristwatch. <laughs> now, for example, these Allied uniforms are for a new series kicking off this fall on Friday nights in the time spot between the Wild West and Gomer Pyle. The show is called Hogan's Heroes, and it stars a funny guy named Bob Crane getting laughs the last couple of seasons on the Donna Reed Show. Now, Hogan and his heroes also live on an island, but it's a very special kind of an island, not at all like Gilligan's. Uh, I found out that he had been murdered, and I was really sad about that. As a little kid, I I thought, oh, my, this is so sad. So it just kind of stayed with me. Then many years later, I connected with an American journalist, Linda Groundwater, who had actually started researching officially his biography. But Linda was living in Australia, so she was having a hard time doing a lot of the boots on the ground here in America uh, to do uh, the proper research. So she and I teamed up, and then we also talked with uh, Dee Young, who worked at WICC Radio in Bridgeport, Connecticut, uh, and she became very uh, involved in the project as well. And so the three of us, we pretty much joined forces, and for a period of 12 years, beginning in about 2003, uh, through till when the book was published in 2015, we researched Bob up, down, over, and around. We looked under every rock. We, you know, we just researched him. And as one uh, person told us uh, in one of our, our critical reviews with uh, Broadway World, we ripped the lid off of Bob Crane. We talked to 200 people. We wanted to do justice to him. We wanted to balance the scales and 
and just show him as a human being, not just Colonel Hogan, not just a murder victim. Certainly the scandal was always rampant ever since his murder in 1978. So we wanted to know what made him tick and what made him a whole person. And we did that by talking to 200 people. It did become a labor of love. We, we sunk a lot of money into it. We did not expect to make money for us, our money, anything we make as far as profits, either go right back into promoting Bob and all that we do on his behalf, or the money is donated to charity. So these are things that we do for him because he is not here to do these himself. That's impossible. Let's keep this war sensible. Well, then any prisoner who carries on sabotage or espionage activities is no longer protected by the Geneva Convention. No kidding. And any prisoner caught in such activities can be shot or hanged. Or both. Don't get greedy. The Gestapo will undertake an investigation of all POW camps at once. Beginning right here. <laughs> there is nothing more to be said to either of you. Whatever happened to our feeder saying? Spies in my Starlock. Ridiculous. Silly. Uh, we were very uh, happy to find out who he was, that uh, we discovered him as a human being, and we were very humbled in the process by the people we met and talked with and got to know uh, who became part of our lives as well. And that is really what made this really special, is becoming in with that, those people, the people who Bob loved and who loved Bob as, as their friend, as their family member. They are now part of our circle of friends, and in some cases we consider them as family. Talking to over 200 people. So tell me something about something in the research period that surprised you or was a highlight of this multi-year massive uh, research period? Probably all of it, <laughs> because when we first started talking to people, it was actually really hard to, to talk to people because, you know, things were in the media already. Bob was not being painted in the best light. Uh, a certain movie had just been released in the theaters. And people who knew and loved Bob, when we reached out to them, initially they said to us, we don't want to talk about Bob Crane. We just don't want to talk about him. We've been burned. We've been hurt. We don't like what's being done about him. There's nothing we can do about it. And, and thank you, but have a nice day. Wow, what's the biggest misconception about Bob Crane? <laughs> well... I think it's pretty obvious. Bob is continually portrayed as somebody who is a creep or a pervert who m went out to L.A. and made it big as Hogan and it, the fame went to his head and he couldn't control himself so he just, you know, just completely went off the edge and just started having all of the sex and extramarital affairs and, and this, that, and the other thing with... with all these people after he became famous. The, the biggest misconception is, is that Bob was not a creep. Bob was not a pervert. What Bob was, was somebody who had a lifestyle that developed back in the early 1950s, all the way back in Connecticut, before he was even in Los Angeles, before he had any idea that he was even going to go to California. 
And he had a lifestyle that developed into an addiction. Now, people think, oh, well, he was married, and there's a morality issue. And, and you know what? That's an argument that can be made. But it's also very important to remember that we were told by many different sources that Bob's first wife and then his second wife as well, they knew of what was happening. And for whatever their reasons, this was their life, this was their marriage, they looked the other way or they allowed it. And they said, you know, this is something that, you know, as long as he comes home to me, we're fine with it. So that was their arrangement. We are not here to judge him. Now, the lifestyle, you know, it wasn't anything horrifying. I often want to say to people, don't you know what sex is? <laughs> because that's all it was. It was mm-hmm. just a lot of it. Uh, he was not hurting these women. He was not forcing these women. These women were willing participants. These women uh, were either people who wanted, and later on, after he did become famous, they were very excited to sleep with Colonel Hogan. Colonel reporting as requested, Commandant. Eddie's, Jennifer Heiner, Colonel Hogan. Delighted. And Murray, I believe you already know. Well, it's possible. You meet so many women in a place like this. <laughs> you see, Bobo, I told you, he's a fun person. I see. <laughs> Always laughing and singing, but thoroughly cowed, sir. Thoroughly cowed. Colonel Hogan, would you come here, please? What would you say this is? Looks like a map, sir. Most amusing. <laughs> this is Stalag 13. And this... You tell me. This is a rocket fuel depot, newly constructed. You certainly can read a map, sir. Colonel Hogan, let us play a little game. You are in contact with a band of saboteurs operating in this area. Now, General von Heiner, I can assure you... Your that... name is Hogan? Oh, no, sir. Klink. Uh, Wilhelm Klink? Remember that. Yes, sir, I shall remember that. Klink. But... Early on, uh, back in Connecticut or whatever, he, that somebody actually told us that when Bob uh, was looking to find somebody, he was looking at a woman from the neck down because he was just looking for a, a kind of fulfillment in this type of an addiction that it grew into. Um, Bob was not going to force a woman to have any kind of relations with him. He wanted it to be enjoyable for both he and the woman. And so when he would go out and look for somebody, he would say, hey, would you like to? And if she said no, he would just kind of go down the line and say, well, how about you? Or how about you? Oh, okay, good. Well, well, let's go. And the women that he did uh, maybe hit on In some cases, he became almost fatherly to them. It was almost like he then saw them in a different light. And he said, okay, well, you don't want to do that, but I still still want to be somebody in your life, and so now I'm going to be more of a father figure, and I'm going to take care of you. And and Victoria Barry Wells was actually one of those people who worked with him in Beginner's Luck. She was the person who actually found his body in Scottsdale after uh, he was murdered. Uh, she He took care of her in a way that was almost father-like and ran to the drugstore and took care of her in that way. And Beginner's Luck was the um, play that he was doing in the late 70s um, while trying to um, get new television shows off the ground and other projects off the ground. That was the play he was doing at that time. 
beginner's luck. I, I want to say, too, that Bob was very active in the theater. People think that, oh, well, you know, it, it was, you know, a time where he couldn't get work or, or whatever. And, and in the 1970s, dinner theater wasn't really viewed as something spectacular, but all of the actors were doing it, and it was something that they were doing to keep the money flowing in. There were a lot of actors in the 1970s um, that were doing dinner theater, you know. Sure, there was Charles Nelson Riley, oh. there was Burt Reynolds, there was Mickey Rooney. I mean, it was... Um, and there is this misconception that if, if an actor is not visible and on the top of the heap, then they're not doing well, that something's wrong. Where in England and Great Britain, you have actors who are working in radio one day, theater the next, a film the next. The other thing, too, is Bob gets compared to... Um, you know, we're going through this this time right now where women are speaking out about... Uh, men in the industry. I mean, we all know the Me Too movement. Um, we are in a in a place where women are speaking out and saying, "Well, these things happened to me," and you know the the you know the coaching couch or the casting couch or or whatever. And that's and that's great, but it must be made very clear that this is not something that Bob was participating in. Bob was not like Bill Cosby. I, there have been people, uh, one very well known celebrity who just recently got uh, canned from her own show went on a big Twitter rage a couple of years ago saying that because Bob interviewed Bill Cosby on his KNX radio program and that they knew each other, they must have been doing the same kind of things and drugging women and all of these different things. That was absolutely not what was happening with Bob. Bob was not looking for force or or anything like that. He was looking for acceptance and validation. Let's turn the corner back to... Um what most people know about Bob Crane, and that's uh, Hogan's Heroes. Tell me some. Tell me something that I. Tell me just something I don't know about Hogan's Heroes. Surprise me. Surprise you. Well, there's a few things. Um, Bob was Bob was a drummer. Bob had been a drummer ever since he was about 11 years old. He was watching Gene Krupa at the 1939 World's Fair. He fell in love with the drums. his drumsticks with him everywhere he went. He had his drum set in his dressing room on the set of Hogan's Heroes. He would drum in between takes. But one thing that many people probably don't realize is that Bob plays the drums in the opening credits and in the out exit credits and then in all of the ancillary music that you hear on the show all in between. So that when I found that out, it, it just makes watching the show a little bit more special because you know he's behind the drum set doing all of that drumming work uh, for for the show, all of the music in the Fine show. Guy. Mr. Bob Clay. favorite stories is that Bob's great-great-grandfather was Robert 
E. Hogan, who was an Irish immigrant and was a toolmaker in Stamford, Connecticut. Uh, but so Bob's great-grandfather, that was just a really wild coincidence that he is Robert E. Hogan, and then Bob ends up playing Robert E. Hogan, Colonel Robert E. Hogan, on the show. That's great. Tell me something um, about, uh, okay, it's now you've, you've, you've written the definitive biography of Bob Crane, and people have been reading it, you've been getting good feedback, and you've had time to reflect on the making, the writing of it, and, and now this. Tell me how the writing of this biography has changed you. It's humbled me. I have gotten to know so many people, people who knew Bob, people who knew of Bob. These people became very special to me. Uh, some of these people have passed away. They became a part of my life in a way that I didn't expect. You know, some people, you know, you have, there are a lot of biographers out there, and, and some are really good biographers, and, and they, they hop from one biography to the next to the next, and, and I give them so much credit because it is such hard work to do, to write a biography. It was not something that we took lightly and no biographer should take lightly. But what happened here was this really became part of of my my whole life, my my fiber, as well as Linda Groundwater's fiber, as well as Dee Young's fiber, we actually became enmeshed into Bob's world in a way that it became our world. And knowing these people and counting them as people that we love and respect, that is something that you know you that that is the the thing that that I find to be the most humbling and rewarding experience. The Liberty Aviation Museum in Port Clinton, Ohio, which is the home of the official Hogan's Heroes display. They have the three signature uniforms, uh, Bob's Hogan uniform, uh, most of which was donated by Scott Crane, then the two uh, Schultz's uniform and, and Klink's uniform. We, I go out there every year. So all of this, when it comes together, it becomes such something that's almost bigger than than me and just writing a biography or, or Linda and Dee and me writing a biography. We have these these almost other, you know, higher power almost type of things that come together and it really is something that when you stand back and look at it, you go, wow, I'm, I'm actually a part of this and it's something bigger than me. Been sniffing around. They don't suspect the thing. If they find this tunnel, I'll eat my hat. Caved in the bleeding tunnel. Carter, don't touch it. All that snow might fall off the roof. Yeah, Baker's right. Uh, Colonel Clank? Yes, what is it, Hogan? I, uh, think you better have a look at this, sir. What do you want, Hogan? Just this, sir. <laughs> I wanted you to see how dangerous it was with all that snow on the roof, but now there's no problem. Is <laughs> Why don't you be honest? You're not really on a hill. You're down at Hody's. <laughs> this thing was up on the hill. It was one rain. 
And we're that's on all it's going to take to bring it down there. That's right. I keep telling them that one of these days we'll be doing it from Ventura Boulevard. You know, we almost moved up. Well, and restaurants, we had Phyllis Diller, comedian Phyllis Diller on the show. And Phyllis, of course, is from St. Louis, has done a lot of work here on the coast up in San Francisco and nightclubs and here in town. And she goes to the fancy restaurants, of course, right, Phyllis? Yeah, I went to one of those fantastic places to eat. And already at home, back in St. Louis, where we live, I've already made shrimp remoulade. <laughs> People take one bite and run to the faucet. They lie down under the sink. <laughs> what, what do you put in it? Oh, it's got horseradish. Of course, that's Jewish dristan. <laughs> and it's got, uh, oh, you know that hot Chinese mustard? Yeah. Oh, half a cup of that. <laughs> the shrimp is only an excuse for serving this hot yeah. It opens your nose right away, but it closes one eye. <laughs> Here are Hogan's Heroes to show you why life at Stalag 13 is a blast. Where else do the prisoners take pot shots at people? Hey, watch where you're shooting! Where else is the Commandant the Fall Guy? And where else could you find Sergeant Schultz? It's no wonder the prisoners get into all kinds of mischief. And it's no wonder they look up to a man like Colonel Hogan. You hear that, Carter? You bet I did, Colonel, now! Now, now, now! Why not drop in on Stalag 13? You'll meet the greatest bunch of screwballs in the world. Nothing. I was not here. I did not even get up this morning. <laughs> Hello, this is Caroline Monroe. And I'm Martine Beswick. And we're here to tell you about this wonderful and exciting new project that we've both been involved with. It's called Sinbad and the Pirate Princess. And it's a movie for your ear. Baghdad. The great city and its citizens are celebrating. Now, as I am a river to my people. You must kill her, my handsome and still skeptical Captain Sinbad. The only good pirate is a dead one. Brace yourself, Captain Bula! The pirates are upon us! Their ship comes alongside us! I shall not rest until all of Badra's ships are burnt. You remind me of only one other swordsman with such skill. Who? Me! <clears throat> what is that in that vial? This? Simply the blood of a siren mixed into a potion that I now drink. Look! She changes, Captain! For you and the people of Zalos, I have complete faith in Sinbad. He's the very man you need. 